0: I want to welcome listeners to this talk with me, and this is kind of fun in a variety of ways for me. I'm in a new location in another lovely antique home, which is always the kind of home that I prefer to be in when I have to be in a home as opposed to out in nature. And I'm with somebody who is somebody whose paths have connected and intersected and separated and but for a long time, a long time, um, which is fun in special ways. And this person is a writer with a new book out, which we'll be talking about. And lots of good things. So I'm hoping you enjoy this spring episode of Talk With Me and my guest today, Iris Craver.
1: Hey Iris, Hi. thanks for welcoming me to your home, usually yeah. I'm welcoming people to my home. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and thank you for coming here, because um, for those of you that are listening, I, I broke my shoulder a couple of weeks Ooh. ago and so I can't drive and it's hard for me to get around and so Marsha was so sweet to <laughs> agree to come to my house. I'm glad to do this, I'm glad to get to see it, fun, fun, fun.
0: So we connected around a new book that you have coming out, which we can mention a few times. Um, And then also in, in the past few years with poetry events that I've organized, and you're one of those people who I admire for bringing poetry into the jail, just things that are so good for people. So who knows what we'll be talking about, except let's go ahead and say a little bit about this book. We'll just start with that, just a little bit about it, and then we'll come back to it.
1: So kind of a teaser now. What's this new okay. book thing? Hey, how to tease about my book. <laughs> huh. Let's see here. Okay. Um, well, it's, it's, the title of the book is "Right to the Source, A Journaling Guide for Recovery. And so it's pretty much what it says. Um, it's, the book is intended for people who are in recovery, from primarily from alcohol and other drugs. Uh-huh. Um, I've had other I've had people say, oh, you know, anybody could use this book, but it's really designed specifically for that targeted audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's um, it covers an entire year of writing prompts the book is based on 52 universal spiritual principles okay which i'd be happy to talk about later more this the teaser this is the <laughs> teaser okay so it's based on 52 universal spiritual principles so one for each week of the year uh-huh. and then there are seven writing prompts so one for every day of the week
0: all right and i will say in in things that i do Writing is is a great tool for people in so many different ways, you know. There's that private writing that helps clarify some things. There's that writing that actually becomes public sharing of stories and can be comedy stories, can be poetry, can be reading a bit from a short story or novel or work of nonfiction. There there's so many ways that people learn and connect. they learn about themselves and then they connect with other people when they put that out in the world and not everybody puts it out in the world and that's fine too but it's it's fun to think about okay so you're doing this you do help people write in a way that helps them become healthier and i think about a poet friend of mine in long island new york Rob plath he has a writing prompt book called acts for a frozen sea Mm. which kind of explains that it's to, to get people to be able to write mm. some things, yeah. to get some things out that are long buried under that frozen sea, mm. mm-hmm. you know? And I, I mentioned before we are on air that that our friends and that Billings and Diane Silver are doing some writing workshops related to hope. And some of the Kansas City poets I know are doing work in youth and adult corrections, mm-hmm. bringing poetry. So mm-hmm. so there's all these different things about writing. and And as I say that, Uh, You know, I think about people going, eh, I'm not a writer. And so that's okay, but we may change your mind, maybe, maybe. And it makes me want to share one little story about the jail because uh, of your connection there too. And I think about you and Brian Daldorf in particular. This was a couple years ago. I was downtown with my friend Sue Edgerton, who's a poet in Topeka and it was before one of the annual Lawrence Busker Festivals it was before the first one where we had poetry alley right and sue came down with her harmonica and a sign that said free poetry because she wanted to kind of get a feel for downtown Lawrence and the space and she figured her her harmonica playing would get enough attention that people might see the poetry sign, you know, and, and so she was reading poetry and also uh, harmonica music at different times. And this this guy walked out to us and we were sitting on a bench downtown and he plopped down right in front of us and he had a big old backpack, the kind of big that it's like I'm thinking this person is experiencing homelessness because mm-hmm. he's carrying a lot of stuff and he's Seems really happy. see, digging through his pack. Like, oh, I want to share something with you. I want to share something with you. And we're thinking, gosh, you know, what's I'm not sure what's going on here. What's going to happen? What's he going to pull out of his pack? And what he pulled out of his pack was this stapled set of papers that was poetry that he and other inmates had created at the jail. And this guy had just gotten out on a Friday afternoon, had no place to stay, had no family friend support at that moment had huge challenges and he was so full of hope because (laughs) of the writing. And I think to me, it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. that that experience I will always remember Mm -hmm. and, and be so grateful for people like you and Brian that are helping people in that way and to know that this guy was going to make it. And in fact, he came to the Busker Fest Poetry Alley. He wasn't comfortable being at the mic reading his poems. His first name was Wesley, but he he asked somebody else to read, which nice. was of course, and so nice. that was beautiful too. So, so I think, you know, the
1: things that I know about that you're involved with, with writing your own and helping others, that's huge, yeah. huge. Yeah, it reminds me of one time I was at Target, and I was in the bathroom. <laughs> And I'm coming out of a toilet stall, and this young woman goes, "Iris, Iris, Iris!" like that. And it was a woman that I had worked with in the writing group at the jail. Oh, cool! And her mom was with her, and she was just like, you know, doing great and back and you know, going to school and having a life and everything. Yeah. But she said, "Oh, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the times that we sat in circle and wrote uh, together at the jail." Uh, And yeah, so it's, you know, really what started me in all of this is that um, I started exploring the use of storytelling and poetry and short stories and so forth as a teaching tool, because I've been a professor at Washburn University for a million years. And I had realized after a time that textbooks just were worthless I mean, there's, they're, like, they're terribly expensive. They're out of date as soon as they're published. They're just, there's nothing of value there. And the students don't even read them. I actually had a student brag to me at one point that he had gone through his entire college education without reading an, a textbook wow. at all. And I was like, oh my God. So I started playing around with using short stories and film and uh-huh. as a way to teach.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it was so effective. And I thought, wow, I I need to know more about this. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> so that's when I started trying to educate myself uh-huh. about the use of writing as not only a therapeutic tool but a a teaching tool Uh as as a as a means for healing and and a a way of personal growth and so the first thing I did was I went to a conference which was the transformational language arts conference okay out at Goddard College in Vermont unbeknownst to me, run by our local Karen Marie Goldberg. Yeah, a former poet laureate of yeah. Kansas, yes. right here in Lawrence, Kansas. Yes, and so that's where I actually met Karen.
0: Oh, wow. Was at,
1: was at Goddard College in Vermont, which was just so crazy. But anyway, so that was my first step into it, you know, to really professionally develop and learn more about what I was doing. And then about that time is when I started doing the writing group at the jail. And quickly realized that I needed to learn a lot more (laughs) Uh about this. And uh, so at that point, I started studying under um, uh, the director of the Therapeutic Writing Institute in Denver, Colorado. And her name is Kay Adams. And she's been doing journaling therapy and poetry therapy for 25 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I started studying with her. Uh Um, That was probably about eight, eight, ten years ago. Uh And just um, realized that I found my passion. Uh I mean, I just, I just love it. I love sitting around tables with people and facilitating their expressive writing. Uh I just, it just I can't think of it part. Well, there's a few things I like better than that, but they're probably not really <laughs> suited. anyway.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> they not be as public. Okay,
1: so anyway. <laughs> okay. So yeah. And so um, so I was doing that and then the women at the jail said. Oh, you know, you really need to go over to First Step House uh-huh. and start a writing group there because a lot of women from the jail end up going yeah. to treatment from jail at First Step. So I approached First Step and said, you know, what do you guys, and they finally, you know, they said, yeah, let's do this. And so for about five years, I ran a writing group at First Step House. Oh, wow. And that's when I decided to, that I wanted to start working on this book. Mm-hmm.
0: And as you say that, I'm, I'm reminded of Dave Rani, who some people mm-hmm. know yeah. as a journalist. He's he's officially a retired journalist at this point, but something he's been doing for a long time yeah. is working in the women's prison. Yeah. And Dave and I have had a few conversations and about that. And, you know, two of the things that he's talked about with me related to doing that work and, and writing workshops, being part of it. One is that he has not yet met a woman in the prison who had not experienced childhood and or relationship abuse. Oh yeah. And that the, the things that they are serving time for often relate to directly to trying to get out of that situation. Absolutely. And the other thing, we, we were together a, a week ago after we, we both are um, doing some things with the local National Alliance on Mental Illness support mm-hmm. group. And and uh, Dave and I were talking afterwards and he said and he had recently asked people, invited people not in the prison in his workshop to to write about their experience with mental illness if they had one. And he said he didn't really expect that everybody would would acknowledge, you know, having any Mm -hmm. kind of mental health challenge, Mm -hmm. but that not only did everyone write about that but the huge proportion of them that had histories with suicide attempts as well, oh, yeah, which makes a lot of sense when yes. life feels really hopeless. Yes, unfortunately, that's a place we can go to, and and with you know, think about abuse and other kinds of things going on, and not having any control over life. That sadly, yes. we can get there. And so it It's, it's that you know, hearing you talk about it and seeing you light up when you talk about doing mm. this workshopping with people who are in recovery and or in the jail, that it's a huge gift to help people be able to express things, you know, and and I know we're both social workers and and I know we're both committed to that idea that that secrets don't help us heal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: You know, and um, one thought that came to mind as you were talking about it, Dave and I, and I met him because I was doing um, some work at the, the women's prison in Topeka uh-huh. with Sharon Sullivan, who's the um, in the theater department at Washburn, and she had um, gone into the prison there and worked with the women to put on uh, Eve Ensler's um, "Vagina Monologues" wow. play. Yeah, and she did that one year, and then the next year, the women. <clears throat> decided that they wanted to write their own play and so and this is how you know the web the interconnections are so uh, interesting because one of the women that i had worked with at the douglas county jail had ended up being sent to the maximum security unit in topeka and so when dr sullivan was talking about okay we're going to write our own play this woman at the prison said oh do you know Iris Craver? You should have her come and help us. Cool. And so Sharon Sullivan said, well, yeah, you know, we, we both teach at Washburn, but we don't really know each other that way. And this, this woman, this, this inmate is like, oh, you really need to get Iris. So I got involved and I did that for two years oh, and cool. helped them write a play. Um, and it was, it was just, it was a fabulous, amazing experience. And that's where I met Dave Rainey. So, Uh um, but I was thinking about, you know, the idea of having people write about their experiences with trauma Uh or mental illness or suicide, et cetera. And one of the things that I think also prompted me to write the book that I wrote is that a lot of people don't understand that writing therapeutic writing can actually be harmful Mm -hmm. if it's not done in a guided way that Mm -hmm. is um, effective because if people just write and write and write and write about their trauma and wallow and wallow and write and wallow and write and write and their trauma and their trauma and these terrible things it's it's actually harmful because what it does is it like reinforces neurologically These things in their brain yeah. and so <clears throat> the way that I approach this work is that I have people write about well as Annette and Diane are doing about hope uh-huh. for example uh-huh. or about you know um honesty or about gratitude or about open-mindedness or oh. about willing, you know, so these, that's when I said there are 52 universal spiritual principles. So I use those spiritual principles as a base for helping people grow mm-hmm. personally in their life instead mm-hmm. of just, and you know, the lousy stuff still comes out. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but it helps people begin to look in a more positive direction and it comes from their own sense of that yeah yeah and as you say that what
0: i think about is that's true in writing it's also true in talking yes you know that if we're if we're trying to be a good friend or hopefully um if we're a therapist and we have um both compassion and skills we know that we don't want to immerse people in the horrors of their life right. and leave them with no tools. Right. You know. And so that's, you know, that that whole thing, you know, is now there's a lot of emphasis in the in the part of, of, of mental health that I'm especially involved with, with suicide prevention and reducing suicide risk in particular to get people to life worth living. That's really what it's yes. about, life worth living. Yes. Um, is is helping people have coping skills, you yes. know. Before you enter into the worst things that have happened to you that you've kept secret, let's make sure you have some ability to manage what's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of let's let's start this conversation and oh bye, see you in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not responsible yeah.
1: in talking or in writing. Right. And the other the other realization I've had in doing this work over the years is that um, you know when you um, when you establish a space, a way for people to be creative, Mm -hmm. okay, in their writing. So an example would be, and this I think is something from the book, an example would be, you know, if you were going to be the most comfortable armchair that you could be,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what would your, what would that armchair be like? What would it look like? What would it feel, you know? Uh And, and when people, people sit down with something like that and they're like, well, I can't write about that. I'm not a writer. I'm not creative. And you know, if you give them time, they'll start and they'll go mm-hmm. and they'll go places with it. And my experience is that when people engage in creative writing, they become more creative in all aspects of their life. Cool. You know, so when they're facing life, <laughs> as we all are, um, if they've had that experience of writing creatively, they can begin to approach everything in their life that way.
0: What do you say to people who say, I can't write because when I was X point in my life, I was keeping journals and somebody read those and betrayed me terribly. So I, the whole writing thing becomes traumatic.
1: Uh, I would say don't keep a journal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if that had happened to someone, yeah. I would say don't keep a journal. Uh-huh. You know, write your write, and then burn it or uh-huh. shred it or something like uh-huh. that. Don't don't keep it. Uh-huh. You know, if you and and that's a real issue. Yes. Um. Because you know people do keep their journals. I have journals going back uh-huh. years and years and years. And sometimes I think about that for myself. It's like, oh my goodness, do I you know when I kick the bucket, do I want my kids to find this you uh-huh. know stuff? I don't know. Hmm um one thing that people do in that regard is that they have speaking of like if you were to die and what's going to happen with your journals Uh after you pass on there are people that actually make an agreement with a friend Mm -hmm. and they know where their journals are in the house and they're like if you know if something happens to me you go in and you get those journals and you get them out of my house but you know if if that's happened to someone where someone's read their journal mm-hmm. um, without their permission. I would, I would say if you're living in that kind of environment where that's a concern to not keep one, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just too unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can still do the writing. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to keep your journals, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, I keep my journals cause I go back and pull cause I mostly am writing poetry in my journals. Mm-hmm. And so i go back to pull things that i want to work on and you know tweak and Mm -hmm. turn into something um but if i was just journaling just for my own work you know my own self growth etc i don't really have to keep those Mm -hmm. i mean there's wonderful value to it if you can because Uh like for in many cases we wouldn't have a lot of our history. Yeah. You know, if people hadn't kept their diaries yeah. and their journals. Yeah. You know. So I guess you have to be give some consideration to what's in that journal. Yeah. And I know with people,
0: for example, who are bereaved by suicide, a lot of them will say that they really appreciate that they can go back and look at this is how I was feeling six months ago, and man, I am not in that same place now, sure, you know, I can see some some change absolutely sort of helpful things so, so you know, basically what you're saying is yeah, you have to respect what's safe for you to do, yes, and the process of writing is going to be helpful, whether you keep it or not yes um and and that's a choice for you to make based on on what really is is safe for you yes, and helpful for you, yes. And, and I love how you started with that writing prompt about the comfortable armchair because maybe sometimes Our writing can be less blatant about what it's about. Oh, absolutely. And then it's like so who cares if somebody sees it?
1: <laughs> right. Exactly, and yeah. it's still therapeutic. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can just flip open uh, You know to something here that um, <clears throat> This is a a section of the book that talks about learning to love
0: okay okay
1: and um, one of the prompts is to make a list of 31 things you can do to be loving towards yourself and that li- making lists is a wonderful way to get people started with okay. writing because everybody feels fairly comfortable with making a list and then I say you now have a list of things you can write about for a month because there's never more than 31 days in a month. Uh-huh. For example, if you listed going for a walk as the sixth thing on your list, and today is the sixth day of the month, then for your journal, sit down and write about going for a walk as a way of being more loving towards yourself. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that you'll find in this book mm-hmm. and generally even if somebody found that what you wrote about how going for a walk is a way loved, <laughs> that's not going to be anything that they can use uh-huh. to hurt you
0: yeah yeah so and there are all the positives you know when you said that about 31 prompts mm-hmm. it made me think about a, a little writing exercise that i can't even remember where i First read about it, but it was related to people um, who maybe ruminate about a really painful experience mm-hmm. and how the the a, a realistic way to interrupt that is to be able to substitute. So instead of thinking about this traumatic scene, mm-hmm. this experience, and so the suggestion was, you know, get grab some index cards, number one through ten. Don't have to prioritize anything, but write ten wonderful experiences 10 positive experiences mm-hmm. 10 things that you're you grateful that you had and and then when you find yourself with this re- repetition of this this painful memory go through those cards and, and you and this suggestion was and use the number you know memory one is I remember that day we were at Sanibel Island and mm-hmm. white Sandy beach yeah. and these tons of seashells and I'd never seen anything like yeah. that Beautiful How fun it was and that as you do that over time that even just the number
1: will remind you of the story
0: yes and so for those times when you're having a rough
1: time you know it's like a five. <laughs> yes 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 yes. and you know now now they have these little apps for your smartphone you know where you can have gratitude lists you know and and uh every day you know you go in and put two or three things that you're grateful for and i've used that myself and when i'm feeling you know like oh my gosh i don't know about my life Uh you know i open that gratitude app on my phone Uh and it's like oh oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, those are all the good things that you know make life even when there's struggles yes that make it worth it
0: because they're going to be struggles this is real life
1: yeah absolutely that's that's
0: one of those things yeah so how we can learn to, to cope with those in better
1: ways yeah and i wanted to mention too that um What I've been doing now is, um, I'm not doing the work at the jail right now, Mm -hmm. and I'm not doing the work at First Step. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've started doing now is running small writing workshops out of my home. Mm -hmm. And so they're for people from the community. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. Uh (laughs) It's wonderful. Uh, And I have a big dining room table, and we sit around the table and um, you know, spend a couple of hours writing, Uh um, you know, I'm doing it on things like, um, oh, you know, how to appreciate, you know, the changes of the seasons Uh or, you know, um, I did a new year's one, you know, so of course, like, what what are your plans for the new year? And, um, you know, I do, I'll do one in the fall. That's like, harvesting harvesting you know the fruits of your labors uh-huh. you know what have what have you been working on that you can now um that's great reap the harvest from and yeah. and those are really those are really fun uh-huh. I like doing that a lot-huh and I love that you do it around your dining room table yeah. in a really
0: friendly environment yeah you know a lot of us have some positive associations and maybe some not so positive yeah. about gatherings around the table yes. you know and, and to be able to experience something so helpful and, yes. and you know, kind of connecting with people as you chat about what you're doing. And, yes. That sounds just especially yes. nice in that kind of environment.
1: And I should mention, too, that um, I did help start a writing group at the library, at uh-huh. the public library, and it's called the Write Club. And I'm not sure what night of the week they're meeting now. If you go, if you look at the library schedule, it's on there. Uh And it's a free group and it's just self run, you know, and people come together and, have writing prompts and write for a couple of, you know, two hours. And Uh it's so for for people that are looking for something in the community, that's a nice option. And I'd be remiss not
0: to mention there's this thing called the Kansas Authors Club, right?
1: Yes. And
0: our local poet and more, Rhonda Miller, is one of the officers for the state as well as with the local chapter. And they do lots of cool things.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have um, a meeting once a month and they'll have, you know, a guest speaker, they'll have some focus to the, a topic to the meeting. Mm -hmm. And that's a great group to get involved with and join. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so lots of possibilities. So I wanna go back in time a little bit. When did you start writing for you? (laughs) Like some people say, when I was three, I dictated to my mom, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny because, um, you know, actually I have a traumatic memory associated with my diary Uh I kept a diary when I was in grade school and when I was in sixth grade my boyfriend Billy paid my brother 25 cents to steal my diary (laughs) he did and he gave it to my boyfriend boyfriend in sixth grade and they took it down to the steps of the public library and sat there with all the kids after school and read my diary Uh Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I started keeping a diary when I was young like that. Uh Um, And then off and on, you know, I've done travel journals and things like that. Poetry, I, you know, I would write poetry. I have an older sister who's a poet and she's a published poet. And I always felt like I couldn't you know, I couldn't live up to her. You know, she was way, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I had very, um, I was very insecure as far as my own poetry. Mm -hmm. And, and then about, well, when I first started getting into this whole using, you know, poetry and storytelling and everything for teaching and healing and therapy, I went to Karen Miriam Goldberg's Brave Voice, which I also have to plug. Yeah, Um, And she runs this, she and Kelly Hunt run a Brave Voice workshop. It's a, a retreat once a year in May. In fact, it was just over last week. And you go out and stay in these wonderful cabins out in the Flint Hills and and you write and they, you know, Karen facilitates that and you write and Kelly facilitates, you know, doing songwriting and every, it's just an amazing experience. Uh-huh. And that was, that going to Brave Voice is what gave me my Brave Voice. All right. And I was sitting with Karen and I was telling her about my older sister And how, you know, I just felt like I couldn't possibly live up to her quality. Mm -hmm. And that when I would show my poetry to my older sister, she'd like cross it out with red marks. Yeah. And Karen said to me, she said, don't ever show your poetry to your older sister ever (laughs) again. And that was the turning point for me. Uh And that's when I really. And so it was really um, by trying to be of service to others. It turned out that I was being of service to myself, Uh trying to help other people heal. I was in fact, helping myself. Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. So that's the perfect time for us to take just this little break
0: here from a couple of the Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com and say thank you to Daniel Smith, who kind of went above and beyond this morning helping us figure out how to make sure we could get this recording done from this new and different place. So thank you Daniel for everything. Thank you listeners. We'll be right back with more Talk With Me with Iris Craver. So welcome back. This is Marcia Epstein on Talk With Me with Iris Craver. And I don't know if you were planning to but would you share some of your poetry and we'll tell your older sister not to listen?
1: Oh, okay. Um okay. <laughs> uh, there's one I'd like to share but I'm going to have to go dig it out of my folder real quick. Okay. Is that okay? That is okay. okay. That is
0: okay. I'm going to mention a tangential thing because you talked about Karen and Kel- Karen Miriam Goldberg and Kelly Hunt's Brave Voice Retreat and I I want to let people know There's this other Brave Voice thing called Brave New Voices that is for young poets. There is a national poetry festival coming up in July in San Francisco. And the reason that is particularly relevant to me right now is that there is a wonderful set of poets from Lawrence Free State High School who are called Lawrence Free Poetry And their coach is Andrew Martin, who teaches at Lawrence Free State High School. And the team has been accepted to perform at Brave New Voices in San Francisco in July. And they need a little bit of financial help, folks. So if you are somebody who loves poetry and loves youth and wants to help youth be able to grow and expand and have this experience of bringing Lawrence, Kansas poetry to San Francisco to brave new voices, you could go to the usd497.edu website, do the search to find that teacher, Andrew Martin, who I believe is amartin at usd497.org, and you could contact him about how to provide a little bit of financial support for those kids. Um, I have a post on a Facebook page called Voice of Lawrence Poetry, and I can put the link again on the Talk With Me Facebook page. I have a recent show with some of those youth poets. They're outstanding, they're inspirational, and what a great thing for young people to be able to start that art, to to do it as Iris was just saying before the break, for their own benefit, as well as for the benefit of others, because that's really what it's about is empathy, connection, sometimes letting people know you are not alone because you are not the only one who has had this experience. So again, the Lawrence Free Poetry Competitive Slam Team from Lawrence Free State High School would definitely appreciate your help and getting them to and from Brave New Voices in July in San Francisco. Because there's so much good stuff going on. I just can't stop thinking about all the connections, all the wonderful people that I've met. Really, that I I came to my interest in poetry late in life um, when I had a little bit more time and I was looking at things on the internet. And I found this guy, Shane Coisen, who's a spoken word poet from Canada who is writing about things that I was hearing in conversations about crisis issues and and healing and hard stuff. So I I love the connection of of poetry as a way to bring people understanding and empathy. And again, knowing they're not alone. And is it possible that you have found the piece that you were looking for, Iris?
1: (laughs) Yes. Yay. Perfect. Okay. So this is a piece that's titled kindness. And I wrote this, um, there's a, a, po- a one of my favorite poet, poets is Naomi Nye, and she's been the chancellor of the Poetry Academy, the National American Poetry Academy, and she's just an amazing poet, Naomi Nye. And she wrote a poem titled, Kindness. So in response to her poem, I wrote this, and it's titled, Kindness. You want me to read this? That'd be lovely. Okay. Yes. It was a kindness to bend over and push shoes onto my mother's poor crippled feet. After a while, we bought the kind with Velcro, like little kid shoes, so that I didn't have to tie the laces. Too often the bows came undone after I left, and then what? Or if I tied knots, then the nurse aides complained and jerked mom's feet trying to get her shoes off at night. It was a kindness that could barely repay all she did for me. The unyielding love, no matter how far I strayed. After all, she taught me how to tie my shoes. Something about making a bunny rabbit run around the tree and go into a hole. We didn't have Velcro back then. How I miss those trips to Walmart with mom, pushing her wheelchair to buy some house slippers, the kind with elastic so she could put them on all by herself like the way she taught me to dress myself as a girl. It was a kindness we shared when I raised her to the toilet as she dribbled pee, both of us laughing. She taught me how to use the potty chair. It was a kindness. She taught me that too. She taught me kindness.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. Aww.
1: Thanks. That's a sweet
0: tribute to your mom.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I can read for another 30 minutes if you want. Oh my God, I love to read my poetry. (laughs) You
0: can read more poetry, you can say more about the book, we can go off on stories that we shouldn't tell
1: on air. Right, right. right. Well, and you know, it's funny about storytelling because I often tell people that I come from a long line of storytellers. I mean, in my family, that is an art form. Ah. Now, some people refer to that as lying. <laughs> but, but in my family, we call it storytelling. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, very common for any of us to be sitting around a table and embellishing a story with, to share That's with so the family. Beautiful. And not every
0: family is like that. I remember when I was talking to Denise Lowe one time, mm-hmm. and she was reading a poem that she'd written about her native grandfather, and his, and his quiet, his not speaking about things. Mm-hmm. And after she read it, you know, I said to her, my russian immigrant grandfather was like that as well Mm -hmm. he did not tell stories of his homeland and his family Mm -hmm. and things before he came to the united states Mm -hmm. you know that that was his his choice because of how traumatic the early time was and and his loss of connection with family members who were not able to leave the country
1: and so it's different in different families Mm -hmm. what happens with stories yeah 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 and there, that was true in my family as well. I uh-huh. mean, there we don't know who my grandmother's father was. Mm-hmm. We don't know who my great-grandmother's father was. Mm-hmm. And we don't seem to know who my great-great-grandmother's father was. So I, I also tell people that I seem to have come from a long line of promiscuous women. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, <laughs> So there's pieces of the family story. <laughs> That are missing, you know. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my grandmother wouldn't talk about, you know, her early childhood and
0: uh-huh.
1: and like that. Uh-huh. So I think that's fairly common, uh-huh. you know. Um, but yeah, so storytelling has been a big part of my life uh-huh. all along the way. And poetry is just a, a story. Yeah, yes. you know, it's just a different way of telling a story. Yeah. It's just a fun way to play with words. Yes, yes, and
0: it can be a lot of wordplay. I, I, I have to admit, I, I do like those things where my brain goes, "Wait, are they saying this? Are they saying this?" Uh-huh. And I like it both ways. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And there's so much learning through stories. You know that I, I think about. I think about when I went back to school to get my MSW, um, and I. Had a full-time job and I was married and I had two little kids. So I wasn't the traditional get a bachelor's degree in four years and then go to grad school. That wasn't me at all. Mm-hmm. Went back to school and in the social work program at KU at that time, you took two semesters of research the first year. And the research professor that I had was a man named Alex Westerfeld, who was is an amazing, wonderful person. And he started the research class with a slideshow. Pictures, 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 pictures. People, 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 and just this, this huge number of people. looking kind of portrait photos of these people? And and his message was, research is about doing good work. Mm-hmm. Know? And so he he incorporated stories throughout mm-hmm. his work yes. of encouraging people to learn about research, mm-hmm. you know. And it made a huge difference if he'd come in and showed us a bunch of stats and we're going to learn right. about what this SBSO, blah, right? Blah, blah, you know, it's like forget it. Who you know, it's like turned off. You yeah, know, switches out. And instead, it was about stories. And and I remember going with Jeff Burkhead from. Burness Center is the communications guy over there. We went to a workshop on storytelling Mm. and the storytelling workshop was actually by one of the Foundations in Kansas and their Mm -hmm. their purpose for the workshop was to get people to be able to tell the stories of the people that they serve Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: better ways to inspire people to contribute resources of time and money to needed programs And, and the difference between saying I could tell you forty over 43,000 people a year die by suicide in our country each year. And that's right. true. Yes. But it's like, so what am I supposed to do with that? Yes. But if I tell you about a family who's affected by suicide loss yes. and what I can do, what you can do, what we can all do that makes a difference in somebody's life, it's a whole different level of meaning yes. and, and inspiration to do something, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The stories are essential. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, do you have
1: a story you want to tell? <laughs> <laughs> well.
0: Whether it's for I, poetry or other.
1: I do have a recent story uh-huh. that I think is fun. Um, I I have four grandchildren. Uh-huh. And um, my grandchild, Cecilia, she's four years old. And she seems to have got the genetic storytelling. She's She got that gene. Uh-huh. Okay. And so uh, about a month ago, I was at their house for dinner and her father said, you know, you need to clean your plate. And I looked at her and I said, you know, my sweetie, Steve, Steve Stemmerman, he licks his plate clean. He (laughs) He licks his plate clean. And Cecilia's little eyes got real big. And I said, in fact, his mother and father both licked their plates clean. And his three brothers all lick their plates clean. And his two sons lick their plates clean. The whole Stemmerman family are plate lickers. And my little, my little granddaughter, Cecilia, four years old, her eyes are just really big, right? And so the next week I'm at dinner. I'm at dinner at their house.
0: You're allowed and, at dinner again? Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah, they, yeah. They 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 have no choice. So I'm allowed at dinner again, and they have cake for dinner. And Cecilia starts to lick the icing off her cake. Uh And I said, oh, Cecilia, you're an icing licker. (laughs) And that's all I said. Uh Okay, so then the next week, I wasn't there, but they made a cake for their father. Uh And when he got home from work, Cecilia said, Daddy, do you remember Grandma Baba's sweetheart Steve (laughs) and her dad said yeah yeah I know Steve and she said well Steve licks the icing off his cake (laughs) and she said and his mother and father both lick the icing off their cake and all three of his brothers lick the ice and his two sons lick the ice in fact daddy the whole Stemmerman family (laughs) icing liquors
0: <laughs> that's absolutely wonderful <laughs> yeah.
1: so yeah so she took my story about uh-huh. them being plate liquors which was a complete lie <laughs>
0: Okay. <laughs> and In she has people are wondering like really Well,
1: yeah. I don't know maybe yeah, I'm, yeah. okay whatever <laughs> and she turned it into a story about icing liquors <laughs> and then was really funny is that we went and had Mother's Day with Steve's mother, uh-huh. Anita Stemmerman, and we took her these little cupcakes. And I swear to God, I mean, this is a true story. This is true. She, she licked the icing off her cupcake. I about fell out of my chair.
0: Cecilia knew.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, when I was thinking that about licking the plate, I was thinking, I was wondering if indeed there was a dog in the household because <laughs> there's, there's always a dog oh, yes. available to lick a plate. And I oh thought, yes. Oh, this could be a whole other kind of a problem. Yeah, this whole feeding the dog. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, another story. Yes, that's the like.
0: Yes, oh, that's the It'll be interesting the stories she will tell.
1: Yes. 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 Yeah.
0: That reminder that kids really do listen. Oh yes, they do. Oh yes, they do.
1: And I read some research. I can't. I wish I could remember the you know title and author. But I read some research in the last couple of years that said something about that children who where the family stories are told um, develop a better sense of self identity and self-confidence, if you yeah. will, um, than in families where there are no family stories yeah. that are shared. Yeah. And I always thought that was really interesting. And and for me, that resonates
0: with my my work in suicide bereavement, that knowing people who lost a parent to suicide when that person was a very young child, how the family talked about that deceased loved one afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is is a big factor yes. in in people, and I think about a dear friend Emily McCabe, who I met Emily when she was a doctoral student in social work at KU, and she started coming to the suicide bereavement group, and she was at a point in her life where she was needing to know about her mom, who had died of suicide when Emily was about three, mm-hmm. and and Emily grew up in the family with dad and her and Emily's older sister, and then. Later, um, the stepmom, who really she called mom, mm-hmm. um, but no stories of of her own mom, mm-hmm. and and as a you know as a teenager, as a young twenties, as a mid twenties person, she was longing to know yeah. about her mom, and also about whether she in any way resembled her mom's in and actions and you know, in, sure. in things. she longed for that and it was it was a painful longing and at that point in her life she was ready to do some work around that and she kind of mustered this the courage in part because of talking to other mass survivors, she mustered the courage to start asking some questions of her mom's family and indeed was rewarded with stories and eventually was able to talk to her dad about what happened. And and basically became aware, and we're saying hello to Curtis. Curtis is saying hello to listeners. <laughs> um, she became aware that her dad's own pain over the loss of his his young wife was what silenced him, mm-hmm. and he didn't know how, mm-hmm. what to do with that. He didn't sure. have any guide in how to what to do with his, his own pain and how to help his daughters. And so he tried to silently move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, there are conversations about Yeah, mom. And, and I remember Emily brought to one of our bereavement retreats this photograph of her mom. And she accidentally left it at the light center where we do the retreat. And so as I was gathering up things, um, you know, it's like I had the opportunity to talk to her about it again. But when she put that photograph out in the circle of people, you know, we all said, you look just like your mom mm-hmm. you have your mm-hmm. mom smile mm-hmm. and it was like nobody had ever told her that mm-hmm. and she didn't really see it it's like you are so your mom's daughter look mm-hmm. at this picture look at
1: well you. yeah and that was a huge gift and it was it was inspiring there's i mean there's so much continues to be so much shame around you know suicide and mental you know people don't talk it's like, this is, this is not to be, this is taboo. Uh-huh. We must not talk about it, uh-huh. you know. And that's just unfortunate. Yeah. Um, you know, because that doesn't help. I mean, right. to keep that closed off is, is, in the long run, creates more pain for people. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, too, that one of the things I've done talking about family stories is through Lawrence Parks and Rec, uh-huh. I've done a couple of workshops titled writing your family story and though and i use poetry as the prompts mm-hmm. so i bring in a whole series of poems and we use the poems as a prompt for people to write their own family stories uh-huh. it's been great
0: that's good cool. it's been great i'll
1: probably do it again in the fall uh-huh. so. so in addition to the dining
0: room table working yeah 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 the, the yeah. Other, other avenue
1: which for some
0: people, maybe where they feel comfortable starting out.
1: Yes. Parks and Rec class. How do people find you? Uh, well, um, that's a good question. I just re- <laughs> <laughs> I just recently retired from Washburn University. Oh. Yes. Um, I will be continuing to teach there as professor emeritus, but I won't be there full time any longer. Um, so. You know, someone could still contact Washburn University and ask for Iris Craver, and they'd track me down.
0: And you'd have an you have an email. I do have an email, Washburn.
1: Yes, um, yes. iris.craver at Washburn.edu. Okay. Um, or if you go to the Raven Bookstore, uh-huh. where you can find my book. <laughs> uh huh. And say the title again. Right to the source: A journaling guide for recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, In the back of the book, I have my uh, email contact information at the back. Do you have an author website at this point? I am working on it. Or Facebook. I'm working on a Facebook page. Uh Um, Yeah. I'm working on it. (laughs) Well, a
0: Facebook author page is an easy start to getting people someplace that they can find you. Yes, exactly.
1: Yes. That's a lot. And I was really doing very well with getting that underway until (laughs) I broke my shoulder. (laughs) And, and of course, I just must mention that I am right-handed, and I broke my right shoulder. Mm. So writing is just a little bit tricky right now. Yeah. But I figure in another month I'll be... I'll be back
0: uh-huh. at it.
1: Cool. So,
0: yeah. So, are you doing? Do you have some book release events where you're in public with this book?
1: Well, again, um, the library at Washburn University was going to do a book signing release uh-huh. event in May uh-huh. when I broke my shoulder, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I can't. I couldn't really sign right. books. <laughs> so, I think probably we're going to wait until the fall okay. and do a. a book signing release event yeah. at that point. Um, at Washburn, which is of course in Topeka as far as something here in Lawrence, I don't have anything planned. Uh-huh. So we'll see. yeah well Raven obviously maybe would be a logical place. yeah maybe Heidi would want to do something yeah with the so we'll talk plan. about that yeah. yeah
0: and and say in case people kind of lost track of the first half of the show say a little bit more about what's in the book.
1: Okay, so um, I am a person in long-term recovery. Um, I have been sober since 1995. So 22 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I was teaching addiction counseling for 15 years before I got sober. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, my father was alcoholic and I thought I knew a whole lot about it and I could teach about it and so forth. And in the meantime, my own alcoholism was progressing textbook fashion and being in academia is a wonderful place to be an alcoholic. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, um, I got a Fulbright to go to Russia to work with the problem of alcoholism there. And I got sober in Moscow, Russia.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Because thank goodness I did anyway. So I have that personal experience of being a In in long term recovery. Uh Um, And then, in addition to that, because of my professional life, I'm also a licensed clinical addiction counselor. Right. Okay. And so, the combination of those two paths in my life my personal experience in getting into recovery and my professional experience of working with people Uh who are getting into recovery led me to want to write this book. Uh Um, Because what I found is that um, again, a lot of, um, counselors, therapists, sponsors, so forth will tell people, oh, you should, you should journal, Mm -hmm. you know, you should keep a journal. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they don't give them any kind of guidance in how to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes that can be quite harmful Mm -hmm. if you're journaling about your trauma in a way that's not uh, useful. Mm -hmm. And so I was concerned about that. And then the other part of it is that, um, I believe that, spirituality is a huge part of recovery, um, that it is, it is really required in order to have a quality life in recovery to find some spiritual way, path that you can be on. And that just scares the, you know, that just scares people big time because they think we're talking about religion mm-hmm. and we're not talking about religion. So I wanted to find a way to help people connect to spiritual, a spiritual life mm-hmm. um, without it being religious. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I ended up with the 52 universal spiritual principles mm-hmm. that people write about in this book. So it includes things like, um, you know, your life purpose, joy, integrity, hospitality, hope. Harmony, forgiveness, creativity, compassion, commitment, being of service, balance. These are the kinds of things that people write about in this book. Mm -hmm. And so it serves a dual purpose. It's a way for people to journal as part of their recovery path Mm -hmm. and also to connect to some kind of meaningful spiritual Mm -hmm. part of their life.
0: And and as we, we know, abuse of alcohol or other substances doesn't tend to happen in isolation in terms of other kinds of challenges. I mean, I, I have a friend right now whose anxiety is so severe and alcohol has become the way that that gets dampened enough to go to work. Right sure. People. and And she sees that escalating and knows it's not good, but doesn't Really know what to do with it, even though yes. she's she's trying really hard yes. and working with some mental health professionals and different things. So, so you know, even though you said that the book really is about recovery from substance abuse, what I'm thinking is that you know, it's gonna resonate for a lot of people. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. yes, and that's really great. So, people can currently get that at the Raven Bookstore. Yes, and. At some time in the fall, hopefully, there will be some opportunity to meet you in person and be able to hear you talk and read a little bit from the book yes and then the writing workshops at this point is it mainly if people have connected with you through facebook that they can find that
1: um yeah actually that's pretty much by word of mouth at this point Um, i i've put out notices um to people that have come to my writing workshops Uh in the past and you know invite them and then they put things out through facebook and so forth um so yeah, I I wish that I had my Facebook page all set up, and, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. So for should, now, did you anticipate in autumn is
1: when? Yes, next I'll be doing another writing workshop okay. in the fall. Okay, great, great. Okay,
0: we are at the end of our hour. Okay, this has wow. been so wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, and listeners, I hope that you're inspired to find some guidance and do some writing. Maybe go hear some readings. Look for when Iris is available as reading and book signing, go to Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, and, and look at that book and buy a copy would be good. Yeah. You or somebody you know, no doubt, will be benefiting from that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcia, And so long to our listeners.